Sarah Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to Farm Equipment's latest podcast series, Our Dealer Story, which dives into farm equipment dealers and their unique stories. Today's episode is unlike any other we've done so far in this series. The recording features the story of two influential dealers, one red and one green, operating in the same town just four minutes apart from each other. For this recording, editor-publisher Mike Lester arranged for the top execs from these competing dealerships to sit down in the upstairs conference room at Johnson Tractor in Janesville, Wisconsin. It was soon apparent that the meeting between Johnson Tractor's Leo Johnson and Mid-State Equipment's Chris Frodo, both second-generation dealers at award-winning dealer groups, would need no help getting started. What followed was a great, free-flowing conversation, and both said they had learned something they hadn't known about their tough but respected competitor. These two dealers, who rarely see each other in person as they juggle the management of multiple stores, found a lot of common ground that morning. Both grew up in the business, though both entities were much smaller then. Both expected to work on the manufacturing side of farm equipment, not distribution, and both grew their sales by acquiring small operation stores. Yet just as important, both cited the steadfast support of their brothers. Had either been an only child, they agree life would look altogether different today. First, a nod to our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Let's get things going. Here's the Our Dealer Story conversation with Chris Frodo of Mid-State Equipment and Leo Johnson of Johnson Tractor. The only thing I, I want to make sure we get on at some point is the two very successful Dealers probably competing for some of the same business in the same town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like. But mm-hmm. okay. Well, let's just kind of talk about our roots a little bit. Sure. My dad was a small international harvester dealer. He was never dealer principal. He was the parts man and service manager for a dealership with four total employees when I was a kid, and he was in Clinton. Oh, in Clinton. Yeah. Have you been through Clinton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's. Yeah. There's, there's only one four-way stop in Clinton, yep. and, um, and the funeral home is right on the corner. It'd be on the northeast corner. Their buildings were the next buildings north of there. Okay. So next time you go through Clinton yep. on 140, uh, yeah, take a look to the left, and, uh, and you'll see That's where it was. And then our family lived a block away, the next block west, and we could actually cut through a neighbor's yard to go from our backyard through our neighbor's yard to get over to the shop. Okay. And so my dad came home for lunch every day and he, he walked to work. Uh, he never had a vehicle, uh, a, uh, you know, a company vehicle, never had any need for one. And, uh, you know, and, and so growing up there, it was a, an easy thing as a kid to go over and sweep the floor for a while. And, you know, he it was a big deal for him as a parts guy. He always wanted to make sure he sold a nut with a bolt. Mm-hmm. So you'd get a box of bolts in, you'd get a box of nuts in, call a kid, the kid would come over and screw a nut on every one of these bolts. And so that's how he wanted to merchandise bolts. <laughs> and, and just kind of the way he was. Mm-hmm. He had a partner that ran the business, did all the selling, did the bookkeeping. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, we're talking small, small time store. I think the first year that I went to work for his partner, they maybe did one hundred and eighty thousand or two hundred thousand dollars of business total. What was the name of the dealer? So? Clinton Implement. And and at the time there was uh, the big dealer in the in town was Vern's Automotive, and he was a Deutz dealer, Deutz in New Holland, and then the Turk, who you maybe have never heard of, but he's okay. kind of a legend in Wisconsin, 
was a, or in uh, Rock County, was a, a big Oliver dealer. The deer dealer had moved out of Clinton, but Norm Rhodes was the deer dealer. And so our closest deer competition was Williams Implement at Beloit. But then directly south, there was, uh, in Belvedere, there was every brand. Mm-hmm. In uh, Delavan, Elkhorn, mm-hmm. every brand there. And so, you know, really highly competitive uh, in, you know, environment back then. And, you know, and we think, you know, we look at now, and I just love telling a story about, you know, the, the number of IH dealers when I started in the business in Rock County, it was, you know, I think there were five of them in Rock County. And then you look at all the number of deer dealers and Alice dealers and the white dealers. And there were, and then like IG Halls, uh, yeah, I guess they were Alice in New Holland. But I think there were 12 or 13 or maybe 14 dealers in Rock County when I started in and today it's you and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went to work for my uh, my dad's partner in 1978, a year I graduated from college, and uh, I had worked for him for two summers prior to that, and so I had two summers of selling experience and a degree in marketing, and the ag equipment business was booming, and I probably could have got a job with just about any manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I had my sights set on. I sure, the last thing I wanted to do was come back and work in Clinton. Then my dad's partner tracked me down at college, which was hard to do. Uh, I was in Eau Claire and, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones. And, and uh, in fact, I'm not sure our apartment had a phone. Um, but he found me and he said, hey, uh, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, well, I'm probably going to try to get a job with the Gale Company or with uh, International Harvester or somebody. And he said, well, why don't you come and work for me for two years and then you can buy my half and I'll, I'll retire. And I said, okay. So that's how I started. So let's hear your story. How'd you start? Well, probably back to more so my dad, how he sure. started. My mom and dad started the business in 1974. My dad worked for Deer before that for... Uh... 74. So things were, things were just, I mean, that was a really good time yeah. in ag... How long did he work for Deer before that? He worked for Deer for, gosh, what was it, six, six or eight years, I believe. So he lived, uh, he was a territory manager. Yep. So okay. he lived uh, down in the wonderful Peoria. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, then, he was mo- then he moved up to Wausau, and my brother was born then. So okay. my brother's three years older than I am. That's Brian, right? Yeah, I'm Brian. Okay. And then they, he had the opportunity... After, after being there for a little while, Deer wanted to move him out to a new territory to have the opportunity to move to Montana. Oh. <laughs> and both my parents were born and raised in Edgerton. You know, this was home. Both his parents were still on the family farm in Edgerton. My mom's parents were still in Edgerton. So they decided, and my mom was pregnant with me at the time, so they decided they really did not want the opportunity to go to mm-hmm. Montana. When down in Columbus, the, the Deer dealer there had gone out a couple years prior to that. And... Um, found some vacant land and put a proposal together to become a dealer and uh, borrowed all the money from their parents to be mm-hmm. able to do it. And I, my mom tells a story that her dad thought uh, he was crazy yeah. <laughs> for doing that with two little kids. And yeah. How so, old were you and Brian at that time? Um, I was not born. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. um, Brian was uh, two years old probably at that time. Okay. So, mm-hmm. that's a big move. Yeah. yeah. So, 
you know. Your dad wasn't afraid of a challenge, was he? He was not, no. <laughs> so built the store from the ground up and, you know, he had similar four employees, mm -hmm. uh, of which he was the parts guy, the sales guy, the, and then the trucker at night yeah. delivering stuff. He kind of wore all hats. And he did have a partner at that time. When he first started, it was a partnership with another individual. You know, then I was born in, in 1973. So they started building it the, the year I was born and then opened in 74. So I still, up until a couple of years ago, had customers up in Columbus, elderly, then that would say, I remember seeing you in your diapers in a, play, yeah. in a playpen. You know, mm -hmm. you were in that office yeah. over there. And, you know, that's how we grew up, too. We grew up, I don't know, the way the crow flies, about a mile and a half from the store and right. could hear the paging system and... <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we were there all the time growing up and, and loved it. And then I got to be a, you know, probably a bratty teenager and didn't want to wear green and yellow. And, you yeah. know, it was too cool for that. And went off to college myself and said the same thing. I'm not moving back mm -hmm. to Wisconsin. I'm going to go get a corporate job and travel and right. go do something different than, than this. And I did that. I went and worked for Deer and Company after college. I went to college up at a small Catholic school, St. Albert's in De Pere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My brother went off to Platteville, and he uh, went into the Marine Corps, went to Desert Storm. And oh, I didn't know that about your brother. Yeah, okay. he, was, he was a Marine for, well, he was in the reserves for several years, but mm -hmm. he was over in Desert Storm for about a year and a half. Um, and Brian did something else, too. When he graduated, he was a commodities broker for several years before he decided to come back. So he came back um, to the business first. He came back in about 96, I think. Brian came back to the business. And I was living in Georgia at the time, working for Deere & Company. I was a territory manager for the financial division of John Deere. And it was fun. I traveled a lot. I liked working with dealers. But growing up in the dealership and hearing that side of it, knowing that side of it, and then being told to convey this message that this is something that dealers should do, sometimes did not jive well with my conscience. Sure. And uh, yeah, I remember coming home for a holiday when I lived in Georgia and saying to dad, you know, or him and Brian talking about work and I wasn't involved in the conversation. And I go, we're just discussing work, you can go. And I'm like, hmm, I kind of want to be involved in that decision. And uh, so I remember I, I called dad from uh, my apartment in Georgia and just said, you know, do you think there's a place for me? He said, I don't know, do you think there is? What do you think you can do? Uh -huh. And uh, he made me uh, write down what I thought my skills would be that I that I can contribute, and had to come back and interview with uh, another individual and with him, and write a plan of what I thought I could contribute, and which was good a good practice I think to do, sure. not just for myself but for other individuals in the organization to see to see that. And at that time, that was in '98. You know, we we just had the two stores at that time. We had Columbus and Watertown. And that was it. How did the other employees, how did you work through that, you know, I mean, you, you had built some credibility working through Deere and, you know, with your other position. Um, how did they take to you coming back to the dealership? You know, I'm, it's Kurt's daughter. Did they treat you differently or special? And but I'm sure. curious, you know, you're, you're kind of you're kind of a pioneer as far as uh, uh, women in management in our business. You're not you're not the only one, but, right. but you're one of the few. Yeah. Okay. So you can definitely pick me out in a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, so I think my brother and I are very consciously aware. You know, mm -hmm. when we both came back, that okay, there's going to be 
an overall feeling of, okay, this was handed to them. Yep. And so in one respect, we didn't think, we, you know, we had to, to prove ourselves because we knew what we were capable of doing, but you, you still do because you don't want that perception. And, you know, both of us had done other roles in the organization. And certainly when I came back, I didn't come on at a role that, you know, I was authoritative or pretend to know that I knew enough to tell people what to do. Right. That was not But you weren't out steam cleaning combines either. No. Okay. <laughs> not at that point. You know, I had done that. Yeah, Brian had done that. Brian yeah. worked in parts and sales. I mean, we both had, had done different things. So when I came back, I worked in Columbus alongside my dad for two years, two and a half years. I think my first business card said management consultant because I said, well, I'm consulting with management every day with my dad. Mm -hmm. And I did. I spent a lot of time with my dad mm -hmm. just understanding leadership and in the role that it that needs to play. One thing that stuck with me very early on, and probably more so when I came to Janesville. So when I, I came down here in the year 2000, I was 28 years old, mm -hmm. <laughs> 27, 28 years old, into a group of, you know, 42 employees down here. It was fairly, you know, I remember very clearly the night we stood in there and alongside the previous owner and said, you know, here's your new management. I could see faces like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My dad is, you know, very well known in this industry and yeah. very well for himself. And people would say, you got big shoes to fill. And I right away would say, well, I have my own shoes. Yeah. <laughs> They're different and, mm -hmm. and that's going to have to be okay. Because we have very different roles. My dad is very whole good sales, 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 sales. Right. I don't sell and I don't pretend, you know, to be the most technical person. I don't pretend to be all of that. I have different skills and different roles and that's okay. Different skills that are needed to manage a large, growing yeah. entity than a two-store. And and he'll, yeah, and he'll say too. It's it's evolved to be so much more, you know, at our level now with six, seven stores, mm -hmm. than when what he was used to with one or two. Right. And I think it's hard. It's hard for him in many respects, but he also knows that there's much more layers needed to be able to meet customer demands and employees. I mean, the employee thing is. A huge, huge thing, and I deal a lot with that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting how our roles change as we as we get older. When I was uh, more active in whole goods sales, I was kind of like your dad was. I, you know, we were never the the size and and scope of what your dad did, but uh, you know, kind of did everything whole goods related. And my yeah. brother is that way too. You know, we're we're very whole goods focused. I no longer really retail anything. I don't really have any farm customers anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, if anybody that I used to deal with comes in and, you know, I turn them over to somebody that I uh, immediately tell a customer, hey, there's there's somebody smarter than me here and I mm -hmm. want you to deal with somebody smarter than me. And there are, you know, and there's guys that, that have mm -hmm. got those skills and uh, and so that's good. I, mm -hmm. And I, I think it's been good for our business to step aside from the retail sell, sales part mm -hmm. of it, turn it over to somebody that, uh, you know, specializes it and does it all the time and does a better job of it. And as you know, it's impossible to to really service a customer well as a salesperson and then and still run a dealership. Yeah. You know, it's just darn enough hours in the day. Yeah, it's the old thing you have to work on your business, not in your business. And that is so hard to do. Yeah. You know, it's hard to do that every day. You get caught up in the, the yeah. tasks of the day that suck you in and it's hard to try and work on the things that you need to be working on to Yeah. Mike brought up the, you know, the whole idea of, of uh, us being able to sit down face to face. Uh, I, I don't know 
many other competitive dealers in the same area that can do that. There, there probably are, but part of what what I think has made us get along with your organization pretty well is that while we are exactly in the same town here, our overall geographic areas are a little bit different. We overlap Rock County and and maybe parts of Walworth County and uh, to the east and maybe a little bit to the west, but uh, you know, south we've got a whole new set of deer dealers that yeah. uh, that we compete against. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of funny, if you look in our SSA that that case is assigned us, mm-hmm. the number of different John Deere locations that are in that SSA is staggering. <laughs> and and you guys are only, I mean, you're only one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that would kind of evolve into our, into our topic of uh, um, what's it like being a deer dealer? Well, you don't know anything else other than being a deer dealer. I don't, but, uh, you know. But, well, you know, looking at the other side of the fence, maybe the grass is always greener, but, you know... Uh, with you, I'm, I'm sure, too. You have your days dealing with your major manufacturer where it's frustrating, and you're yeah. frustrated with a number of different things. But I always end that conversation with, but I wouldn't want to be anything else. Yeah. So, and we used to be a Kubota dealer, and we're a Bobcat dealer, so we, we see little tidbits from, from those manufacturers, too, and they're really not, all of them really aren't that different. Yeah. You know, they're all trying to get that that niche they're all going after market share they all are preaching that same thing yeah and in the end they're they're maybe not so wrong you know even when they want you to do something that might not necessarily you know uh, be w- the way you would run sure. something or, or you know something kind of goes crosshairs with you but uh, uh, you know like uh, this whole dealer purity thing you know a deer carries a bigger stick than than Case does, in my perception. Sure. Um, uh, I can probably buy another store someplace or open a store somewhere and take on Kubota or take on whatever lines I want to a certain we could extent. Not. Yeah, right. We could not. Right. You could not. No. But that's the clout that number one in the marketplace has that number two doesn't. Sure. I, in, that's my perception. Sure. Anyway. Well, one thing that I find about when I talk to people that don't know the industry at all and they ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a farm mm-hmm. equipment dealer, oh, you sell John Deere. <laughs> you know, that's, but it's kind of a natural thing. It's, sure. It's, you know, when you talk about farm equipment, John Deere is generally the first thing that pops up on the screen. And then, you know, well, no, we don't. We sell, we sell number two. Sure. Um, but there's certain things in number two that aren't necessarily so bad. Uh, I think that overall we may have less inline pressure from other Case IH dealers. That's my perception. I don't know if that's true or not. That you have less pressure to say than we do from yeah. our inline. Yeah. What do you think? I would think so. I feel more. We feel more pressure from our inline competition than we do from you. Yeah. Or than we do from farmers in many cases. In being in the same town, the large acreage cash grain farmers, a lot of them still are pretty specific to the color of their equipment. There's a little change once in a while. There once. might be a piece or two once in a while, but you know, it's it's kind of funny. And we've made a few conquest sales over the years. Sure. And then sure shooting, you know, five, six, ten years later. You get them back, and we've had the same experience the other way too. Sure, and you're right. I think a dealer that provides good service, that you know, generally speaking, farmers won't switch brands very often. Not very often. There's some, maybe in generational changes, yeah. that'll entertain it. And both of our manufacturers have programs in place to 
make you go after one or two of those to pick off a year. Right. And then, yeah, two years down the road, they go back. And, yeah. you know, we have those customers that have red combines, green tractors, you know, or they have red tractors, a green planter behind it, you know, and we each take our share. Our daily strife is probably against our neighboring deer dealer. Yeah. So it's possible <laughs> that you can have a friendlier conversation with someone with Leo than that other green dealer is always trying to cut cut the knees on a... Um, yeah. Or vice versa as well. Yeah, that's probably true. Although the one thing that's a lot different is uh, you, you maybe don't even know who some of your, you know, the top management people of some of your John Deere inline competition. You know, I, I'm thinking of the dealer directly uh, west of us. How much interaction do you have with their ownership group? We have a respect for each other, but it's not that we share customer information. You know, it's unfortunate maybe we can't have that relationship, but it's just the nature of the way things are. We'll get back to Leo and Chris in a minute, but first a word of thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. Now back to the story of Chris and Leo of their Wisconsin-based dealer groups. As an outsider, looking at your organization and looking at other deer dealers that I know, you seem to have a, you, you don't seem to be afraid of taking on additional short lines or things that maybe don't direct directly uh, compete with deer products, but complement the, the area. Yeah. Uh, Night coon, things yeah. like that, material yeah. handling equipment yeah. and, and maybe some tillage equipment. Yeah. There's, there definitely are some niches. Mm -hmm. A lot of deer dealers won't even dabble with them. What, uh, you know, is this something that's kind of come along with your culture to, you know, to try to get as much of the share of wallet and maybe be market share, sensitive market share? Or? No, I think all of those decisions have primarily been made to our customers' needs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's, you know, I, we're saying the same thing. Um, you know, being in, in dairy country, more specifically in our Northern Territory stores, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of dairy. Right. So being able to have coon and coon night products to offer makes sense. And um, there was a niche with the Landall. You know, they came out with their VT machine before deer hit anything, and that was that was a niche. Mm -hmm. And to be able to offer that to our customers. And so where it fits and where it makes sense, we're going to make those decisions. We've also exited other brands through the years, too, that try and 80-20 our business, you yeah. know, and make sure that we do that on all levels. One of our key drivers of our growth was when we bought Rochelle. Sure. That was in uh, 2006. And, and it, it took us from uh, 25 employees to 50 overnight and, and uh, in a heart of really, really good farmland down there. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's, it, it's probably been our single biggest uh, strategic decision. Well, actually, second biggest. First one was to come to Janesville because we've only been in Janesville since 1986. So closing up our little store at Darien and uh, buying the Janesville store was a big move. Our next big move was was buying Rochelle. And that almost overnight doubled our volume. Uh, it was a really good move. If you look back on what you did, what, you know, you or your dad or you and Brian and your dad, uh, what do you see some defining moments in your history? 
The purchase of coming to Janesville. Janesville was a big one. Janesville was a big one. You yeah. know, like I said, prior to that, we were in Columbus and Watertown. Now, had you had a chance to buy Janesville before? Like when it changed, when Prejean had it? I mean, he was only here for what, seven, eight years, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, maybe Dad did. Okay. You know, and yeah. I wasn't paying attention in high school or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> before your time. So. Before my time. Yeah. So we had bought um, Watertown in 1990. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we actually opened our a little small store in Hartford in, in 98. You know, I had three, four employees there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, then Janesville came up in 2000, and that, that was a, a defining moment. Mm -hmm. You know, so Columbus and Janesville are two main egg stores. Yeah. And, um, you know, be, again, we added 40-some people at that time, and right now we have 195 employees between all our locations. Mm -hmm. So that got us a lot more volume coming down here, which we took a, a dealership that was, they weren't failing, but the, their market share was not good. Yeah. And we took it to, to a pretty commendable level at that time in a, in a pretty short time, which uh, I'm proud of. But Yeah. What was the name of that store? Powertown. What did you think of that? That it was two thousand. Year two thousand. Yep. So what did you think on that day where it was changing hands into the the good Kurt Hansen name that, that's out there? Well, I knew at that years. point that that it was uh, that it was going to get tougher for us. That there was going to be a formidable competitor there. But what what I also figured was that there'd be a little bit more consistency, where the former owner. If all of a sudden Deer called him up and said, "Hey, you got to sell some stuff," he'll go out and make some crazy deals, and you know, and the rest of us are, you know, and that's all kind of gets around. Oh yeah, well, this guy traded combines for ten thousand, this guy for nine thousand, this guy for eight thousand, and you know, we're out trying to trade the same kind of deals for twenty thousand or thirty thousand, mm -hmm. you know, and so there was a lot of that happening. You'd see big swings. Anyway, I, I, I didn't fear the day I heard that Mid States bought him. But uh, I, I, I thought, I guess in one way, I, I, I guess as if I kind of recollect what my feelings were then, now I, I, I was thinking, yeah, well, there'll be some stability. And that's not bad. Mm -hmm. Good competition. Yeah. So. And you, did, you knew Dad then. You I did. You probably did not know me at all from yeah. Adam. So. Is your dad still active? Well, he tells people he's semi-retired, which means he doesn't work Sundays. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, he's there every day, including Saturdays. It's, it's, it's all he's ever known. It's his passion. He's passionate about this business, and it's what he loves. I mean, he, he does it all day. I mean, and then he gets home at night, and he, he reads Farmer Equipment Magazine and other, yeah. you know, industry magazines, and he's on his iPad looking at auctions and looking at, you know, competitive dealer websites to see mm -hmm. what we need to be doing better, and that's just what he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And doesn't matter what I want for him to say, <laughs> you know, I want you to slow down and enjoy your life. I quit telling him that because this is what he enjoys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want, I've told him this recently, you know, if you want to work till you're 80 some years old, whatever that looks like, I hope, I hope you can, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's coming in four hours a day at that time or whatever it is, I hope, mm -hmm. I hope you can do it because it's what he loves to do. So will you be able to walk away from the business uh, when you're ready to retire? Depends when my brother retires. I'm not doing this without him. You know, he and I are really good partners in that we, we have very different skill sets. We have different things we each offer, but we trust each other completely, you know. Sure. 
we don't ask each other for approval on stuff. He'll, if I want to bounce something off him, he'll say, I'll do whatever you think. I trust you. Vice versa with him. You know, we're a really good, good team in that respect. So I have a long ways to go. But I think about it, you know, because who is, I don't, we don't have that next generation really. I, I don't think. My brother has two daughters. And neither of them have ever shown any interest in the iron business? No. Okay. They're kind of going in their own direction yeah. and have different interests. Yeah. Um, mine's four years old. She loves tractors and she, <laughs> she loves equipment and she loves coming to the store and she does the showroom for me and uh, she loves going by Papa at work, but... How am I supposed to, she's four. Right. <laughs> I don't, right. And not only do I not, not know if this is what she want to do, I don't want her to have to do it by herself. Mm-hmm. It's a hard business to be in. And it's a lot of employees and it's a lot of pressure. Sure. I don't want her to have to, That's you always want better. You're, you're very similar in this. Well, we, we are in that we were both had children at a little old, at a, at a uh, later age. You can age. say it, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I had her at an older age. I had her at 40. <laughs> well, I'll be 62 uh, next week, so uh, uh, I got a few years on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a, a teenager at home, and, and uh, you know, I have no idea what she wants to do. Maybe she's interested in this business at some point, but she, you know, she's not, you know, she's been too busy going to soccer practice and basketball yeah, right. practice and yeah, stuff she like should that. Be. She, you know, she isn't here putting bolts and nuts together like when I was her age. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, now my son did spend some time here when he was when he was younger. Um, I don't know that he always liked it or loved it. I, he doesn't seem to, you know, he's got a lot of other interests, mm-hmm. and and that's good and. Whether he decides he wants to come back or not, I'm going to leave the door open. I told him, I, I think I, my brother is the one that's really trying to pin him down, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is kind of funny. So I could kind of step aside mm-hmm. and not have to be in that conversation. Yeah. But uh, but my brother does have a daughter that's active in the business, yep. and and you know she's uh, probably she's in Judah, right? Yeah, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. And and she's doing a nice job there. She's actually on the front line. She's yep. out. You know, uh, working as a retail salesperson and and pounding on doors, and it's a you know we're working on areas that we haven't done too well in before, and so you know she's making some inroads, and she worked for Case for a couple of years, and and I'm sure that she gains a little bit of credibility by being one of the boss's daughters. Sure. You know, and so uh, you know guys take her seriously at least, but it'll be interesting to see how she does, and 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 I hope that uh, she communicates with you at issues that that where you have common ground at, sure. at some point. Uh, I've tried to hook her up with some other um, uh, female dealer principals, uh, you know, just to for her to be, you know, to be able to network a little bit with. And so uh, I'm happy to talk to, to her if she ever needs, wants to talk. But there again, she's young. She's 26. Who knows what type of changes will happen. She got married last summer and, you know, I have no idea what she's got in mind as sure. far as family and things like that. And can it the changes. Two, yeah. Can the two coexist? I mean, you were basically running the dealership. Yeah. And I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, when I look at your dealership, I look at you as being the the face of mid-state equipment and, and the leader. Mm-hmm. And and how do you balance that with a four-year-old? You too. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's one of those things, okay, so yeah, when I came down here, I was 28, and I think you try to prove yourself maybe yeah. as a female in this business a little harder. So, I mean, I'd get here at quarter after seven, work till six, and I did that for you know, 10 plus years. Yeah. And then a child comes along when I was 40, and it it's changed. And it's okay because that allowed during that time to bring up some, we got some really, really good managers that I'm able to step back and they take, you know, they take care of things. So I, I mean, I stay home still. Um, Thursdays I work from home. At first I felt a little guilty about it, you know, like I should be, I should, I should be at work, I should be there. And I don't feel guilty about it anymore. And that was more just myself resolving that within myself because I don't think my employees care that they're not. Um, you know, but listening to my dad too, because my dad, you know, you always want more for your children, right? right. And my dad would say, you, you need to take the time. You take the time. I didn't take the time because mm -hmm. he was busy building the business. You know, you take this time and make sure you spend it with her. Mm -hmm. And my brother did the same thing. You know, oftentimes his, you know, while his kids were little and growing up, that's maybe why I'm the face of our dealership is I went to all the deer meetings. I attended those. I was the face of our dealership. I dealt with all the John Deere people. I, right. I, did, I did that. And now his kids are grown. I'm just starting with mine. <laughs> so Brian's like, I'll go to those take meetings. I'll, take, I'll okay. go and I'll, I'll do that. And, uh -huh. um, but it, it was definitely hard to step back after after that that while but and I'm, I'm glad I have and I'm able to enjoy her and um, I yeah. hope, hope to keep doing that a lot of it's just more me mm -hmm. me worrying about it you yeah. know things are a pretty well oiled machine and at, at all the stores at most of the stores you know you have to keep your thumb on everything once in a while but you know during that time we hired a an HR director which we didn't have before now I don't know what I would do without that role yeah. You know, because I used to... You used to do it all. You know, stay and interview people at night and, you know, deal with the, the reviews and, and the very yeah. <laughs> bloody mm -hmm. terminating. And now it's... I still do that from time to time alongside them, but it's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a, a marketing manager that was probably a new role starting in, I don't know, 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I used to do that too. You know, I'd... Right. Everybody send me their advertising packages. Now somebody else does all that stuff, which needed to evolve with the changes in mm -hmm. social media and the internet. I don't know any of that stuff anymore. So having somebody else to take that role, we've added some critical roles that have allowed me to step back and do more important things. Yeah, yeah. I hear you there. A quick break in the action to invite you to our annual Dealership Mind Summit. Check out this unique management event for farm equipment dealers only at www.dealershipmindssummit.com. It's a quick hit, two-day mastermind style summit that connects you to your peers of all colors. Come participate and learn from the very best minds in the ag machinery dealer world, all seeking solutions to your same challenges. www.dealershipmindssummit.com. You had said a moment ago that it would, you couldn't have done this without without Brian, or wouldn't have wanted to do it without Brian. Yeah. And you, you and your brother have been doing this a long time. Yeah. How important is that that sibling next generation to have the appetite to go and do what 
each of you have done with your business in the past 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, when you were saying that, I thought, you know, 100%, that's exactly what what's given me the freedom to be able to travel when I wanted to and, and do a lot of the things outside of the dealership that I've, that I've wanted to is the fact that Eric is uh, kind of married to the place. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, if, if I wouldn't have had him available to do that, I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been possible, but it would have been a lot more difficult. And, and, and you're right that, and that was, you know, I first started that back when we had, you know, just a single store, you know, let alone having a, a group of them now and as many employees as we have. Uh, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a lot of burden to put on one person or even, even two people. We have 80 employees in four stores. Um, and that's for us as a, well, no, I, I, I may be wrong in that. You know, here, I, I used to do all the HR years ago and I could rattle off everybody, but yeah. Yeah, we might be up to 85 and something like that. But, mm -hmm. but um, um, the year that we won the dealership of the year award, one of the metrics that that they judged us real high on is our our total revenue per employee, and that hasn't changed. I mean, the the, the number hmm. the revenue number has gone up, but our, our right. total number or our total revenue per employee is very very high, and so we run kind of a lean ship, mm -hmm. and uh, um, you know, and when when you got kind of a lean ship. You know, if you're missing a person or two, you know, you feel it. And, yeah. and so when I'm gone for two weeks or three weeks or a month or whatever, uh, um, you know, that was, uh, it, it, there were a lot of demands that somebody else would have to pick up. And so uh, anyway, uh, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it without Eric. I guess that's bottom line what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if each of you were only children and had the, the, you know, both had the opportunity, maybe you're not at four stores. More today? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've kind of probably reached my capacity as far as uh, my managerial skills. And uh, oh, if we had a chance to buy one more store or two more stores, we could probably make that work. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to run eight or 10 or 12, and I'd, I don't really want to. But that's, that's kind of the way my DNA is right now. And, uh, you know, we're in a, a little bit like you, kind of in a comfort zone. But, you know, talk about that. A good dealer friend of mine in, in uh, further south, a dear dealer that's, uh, uh, he's in, I think he's one of six partners, if I remember right. Uh, no other family. But through consolidations and some buyouts and whatever, uh, there's, there's, I think there's six partners. And uh, they're feeling the pressure from deer on, well, what, you know, and they got a big organization. They got quite a number of stores. And, uh, you know, what are you, who are you going to consolidate with next? Are, are you hearing that at all? Or uh, is that really not? Yeah, they're careful on how they say that, mm -hmm. you know, but th there's definitely a, an idea on yeah. how many dealers they want. And I think they have said they want, they want less people to have to deal with. Yeah. Well, the number that he was tossing out was, uh, you know, basically about one per state for for dealer organizations. It depends on the state. Um, uh, well, I mean, not yet. Yeah, you're right. It depends on yeah. the state. But like 50 or 60 in, in North America is, you know, 
50 ownership groups? Yeah, yeah, ownership groups. Maybe not any change in the number of rooftops, but in, in ownership groups. Yeah. Where, see, currently, and I don't know if you know what deer is, you probably do, but uh, with case dealers, we have about two and a half stores per ownership group. So what else do you like to do when you're not uh, working or uh, taking care of your four-year-old? Well, that's changed. You know, before, yeah. <laughs> before I had a four-year-old, we... Oh, you see me at basketball games. We're big yeah. sports people. You yeah. know, we were football season ticket holders, hockey season ticket holders, basketball season ticket holders. I mean, did you play sports in high school? I did, yeah. Okay. And my husband golfs a lot, so I would try and golf. But yeah. now we uh, still take we take her to football games. We take her to basketball games. And mm -hmm. um, we used to travel a lot. We don't travel as much anymore. Our travels are different. We travel to Florida instead of to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, that'll change as she gets older, you know, well, you know that. Yeah. Every different stage will bring about different things. So it's fun. It's a great, great ride to be on, to have her. She's a blessing. She's kind of a miracle. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we, kind of the same way with us. Uh, uh, we didn't ever expect to have children. Mm -hmm. And Patrick was somewhat of a surprise. And, um, and it, you know, changed our lives for sure. Mm -hmm. But... Um, and so we, you know, I was in my late thirties when we had Patrick and, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and then we decided that, well, Hey, we kind of like being parents. Uh, maybe we should try again. And when mother nature failed, we decided to, uh, go to, go to China. Mm -hmm. And so between deciding that we like being parents and then, and then all of the paperwork and whatever to, to adopt, um, Turns out there was like an eight year span. Hmm. And so um, we've really got two single kids. Sure. You know, or two only children. Sure. Because, um, you know, Patrick was, by the time we got Ray, you know, he's like eight or nine. And then, uh, you know, she, uh, she's busy, you know, Sue, and Sue stayed at home uh, when both kids were young. Um, and then uh, when Ray went to, uh, when Ray, I think when Ray got into, um, kindergarten or first grade, then that's when Sue mm -hmm. uh, started back uh, working full time. Um, but uh, it enabled me to to uh, to travel with kids mm -hmm. and and you know travel with one kid, which yeah. I love. And Sue was never real big on traveling anyway, and so uh, it, it was really nice. Um, you know, you don't have to compromise on anything. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's where we're going. Here's where we're staying. Here's what we're eating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah. I've just heard a lot about him from Eric, you know, when him and Tommy went to school. And he's in Russia right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. He works for Bungie Grain. And Bungie is, uh, they kind of fly under the radar a little bit here in North America. Uh, they've got facilities along the Mississippi, like at Clinton and, and I think St. Louis. Um, and then they've got a big office down in Miami uh, that they have their, uh, they call it their their regional office for Central America is there. Okay. And so he worked as a, as a, in a training program in uh, some of the grain facilities for a while. And then they've got a big soybean crushing plant somewhere in Tennessee. And he, he worked there for a little while. And then, and then he got a job. They transferred him to Miami, and that was kind of his first full-time gig there. He was a logistics guy dealing with uh, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. He went to Milton High School, and he learned Spanish really well. 
And then he did an AFS thing in Paraguay his senior year of high school. And so his Spanish is really good. He went to Yale and uh, took Russian. And he took Russian his first semester and just fell in love with this old Russian lady that was the main professor there for that department. And he took a class from her for every single semester except for one semester that he spent in Moscow uh, and lived with a Moscow or lived with a Russian family that didn't speak any English. So his, his Russian is really good. So uh, he was in Miami on the phone all day, every day. He said he was the only, uh, he was the only gringo in the office and uh, you know everything was in Spanish. And then this job opened up in Russia as a, as a uh, uh, trader. So they've got, Bungie's got 10,000 employees, 500 traders, and he's at the low rung of the traders because he was willing to go to Moscow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So that's his story. But he's enjoying it? Yeah, yeah. He just, yeah. yeah, he loves it. Probably once a month, at least sometimes twice a month on the weekend, he'll just fly someplace else to go yeah. look around because I haven't been there. So, uh, yeah, the amount of travel that kid's done in the last couple of years is incredible. Well, you you got the travel bug in him, I'm sure. Probably, yeah. Yeah, he's really made the most of it. That's good. Yeah, so that's what, uh, that's what his story is. Well, one thing that's a little different, I think, between us two is, I mean, you're ingrained in this community. You guys live here. Yeah. You know, you yeah. live up by Edgerton. And I live in Deerfield, which is, you know, 35 miles from here. So I don't do a lot, you know, outside of work in this community. I'm hightailing at home to get home to her. Yeah. Um, well, actually, Milton is where Sue and I live. And we've lived in that community for 25 years, sure. 28 years. And we're still newcomers. <laughs> I went to high school in Clinton, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't lived there since I moved out when I went to college. And, uh, um, you know, but that, it, it, it's funny. It just takes a long time yeah. to, you know, to really become. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're active in our community and all that. Sure. But, but, you know, there's a difference between being active in the community and being one of those that went to high school there. And, sure. You know, played yeah. sports there and all that. We try and make it a, a good point for all our employees here. You know, that grew up here. If technicians went to the local high school, you know, get yeah. involved and, yeah. you know, keep yourselves out there and promote agriculture. And, and that's got to be tough to do, like, in the Salem area or yeah. Jackson or whatever. To How it kind of works. My brother, he kind of oversees our Jackson in Watertown store. Okay. I live in Deerfield, which is like... In the middle, it takes me 20 minutes to get to Columbus, 35 to get here, 20 to get to Watertown, and about 50, 45 minutes to get to Sauk. So it's yeah. a nice in-between. And my husband works at um, American Family, a corporate office in Madison, yeah. which is why I never moved right. here. Sure. Because he has a good job there. So yeah. we have to live somewhere a little reasonable. Yeah. I can't dictate everything. Yeah. I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he would say that too. Um, you know, so I, I, I am here most days. I, I try to get to our sock store at least once a week or once every other week. And my dad's in Columbus, so we leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> and then Brian and I try to get to Salem when we can. Salem is over by Racine. Yeah. They're more of, more of a property owner and commercial lawn and garden place. And mm -hmm. they, do, they do some egg there now, too. You had a question on there about maybe a... A, a strategic opportunity that you didn't take that that was that was the last thing on my list are there any are there any uh, obvious things that you had a chance to do 
but didn't act on that now in hindsight would have been great to do? No. Honestly, we really don't, I don't put much energy in that. Okay. You know, there was there opportunities that we should have thrown our hat in the ring, perhaps, but mm -hmm. it's not even worth thinking about because it didn't happen, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. We need to focus on what what we have here. Well, see, I'll and, be the devil's advocate on that. The reason that I do maybe look at some of those and dwell on that is mm -hmm. that I don't want to miss another one. Sure. <laughs> um, you know. We're, you know, it's a common saying, things happen for a reason. Yeah. You know, it's a very common saying, and maybe yeah. that's too easy to say, but I honestly, things happen a for a reason. Yeah. And okay. if they weren't meant to be, they weren't meant to be for a reason, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, for a long time, we talked about building a store up around in Madison Market, mm -hmm. right outside of Madison. And we, you know, had land and... And this came about. So that went to the wayside. Oh, I mean, not to the wayside. That got scratched. Yeah. And we did this. And that was the right decision to do. Yeah. Um, there's other, yeah, there's other things, obviously, that have come up. But I don't, I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. What about you? Oh, I probably have a long list. <laughs> 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 yeah, I probably have a long list. But uh, uh, in many ways... Um, our decision not to do something generally was because we couldn't afford it. And, and then, and, but what I, what I, and, and what, what my definition of not being able to afford it is uh, not being in my comfort zone. And I guess as I've gotten older, my comfort zone has widened. And, and I, and I look back now at some things that, you know, uh, well, I, I owned the property where, where um, Farmers Implement built in, uh, built their store at Columbus. Yep. Um, I, in fact, I was the day that Creel Camp contacted me. He drove up in his Cadillac while I was standing there with a chainsaw cutting down trees. And he pulls up and he says, "You're a hard guy to find." And I said, "Well, I'm, I'm here." And he says, "I want to buy this property and I want to be the case dealer here." And I, I said, "Are you sure?" And uh, and he said, yeah. And so I, I gave him a price on the land and, you know, I wasn't married to it at that point. And I, I was seeing that this was, there was a lot of trees to cut down. <laughs> um, but so uh, anyway, we made a deal. And then it, as it turned out, shortly after that, Rochelle became available and I bought Rochelle. And that would have, that was, I don't know that I would have done both. But now if looking back at it, I probably should have stayed with the plan, built a store there. And then when Rochelle came, figured out a way to pay for it. But it was, you know, going from one to two was a big move. Going one to three would have been a really big move for us and and uh, uh, would have been outside of my comfort zone. But I, you know, and that so... That opportunity is probably still available. It, it may come again, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it would have been a heck of a lot easier and cheaper if I had just done it in the first place. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did have a chance to buy the, the case dealer at Freeport, Illinois, um, 30 years ago or 25 years ago too. And that would have been there again, our second store. And I just about did, but I didn't like the location and the, you know, there again, the demographics weren't just right. And you know, as it turns out, it was the right thing because there has never been another dealer thereafter. Mm -hmm. He closed. Mm -hmm. So go figure. Mm -hmm. 
there's probably a few more, but uh, those two come to mind right sure. away. What could the two of you, looking at the Janesville market, the, the business that you do in your two stores, what, what, what could you tell the, the rest of the country about what the Janesville ag market is like? I have my ideas, but I'm maybe a little more slanted, so since I'm here, probably a little more, yeah. but why don't you, uh, why don't you start? Well, I yes. think it's, um, it's twofold, really. I mean, we have our, our sector of, of large acreage farmers. And as I said earlier, I think um, Leo and Eric and, and us take care of those customers very well. Um, and then there's that next group that's very important in our demographic as well, and that's property owners. You know, that 90 horsepower and under tractor market is, is huge and it's growing, um, and it requires attention as well. So that's what I've seen, at least in, the, in my tenure here, is that market and making sure we're paying attention to that market. I agree 100% on the, the demographics of the area uh, are perfect for, a farm, for dealerships like ours and dealerships like yours, where we do have to the east some really great farmland. The farmland to the west is somewhat challenging and, and you, can, you can easily look at, you know, by township and see that and probably count the number of large machines and the frequency of the trades and, you know, the overall prosperity. We've got some really, really good land and, mm -hmm. and, and so we're blessed to have that. Um, there's a lot of dealerships, especially in Wisconsin, that you got to stretch out quite a ways. You got some good land here, and you got a little bit of good land there. But there's there's very few places that have got as much good land as there is just right to the east and southeast of mm -hmm. uh, of Janesville. You've got a a, a city of seventy five thousand people, but really a marketing area of a couple hundred thousand. And so we've got four major well. Edgerton isn't major. They got a hospital, but there's four hospitals in the county. And so there's plenty of doctors. There's plenty of, of administrators. Uh, um, we've got a, you know, Paul Ryan's from here and we've got a boatload of, of, of attorneys. <laughs> so we've got high income, you know, a, a good high income population that can afford, you know, expensive toys. And, and I think, you know, that's, you know, we had the second largest uh, uh, Harley dealer in the nation here for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And thank God, I think people are finally getting sick of motorcycles and want to buy stuff that they can use at home more. And, and maybe we'll invest in a compact utility tractor or a, or a you know, a, a gator type mm -hmm. piece uh, rather than a rather than a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And and so, uh, you know, there's just a lot of good disposable income, I think. The other thing that we've got in Janesville is we've got a tremendous road structure. We've got the interstate that goes right by us, north and south. We've got Highway 14 and Highway 11. We've got Highway 26. All of those all converge at Janesville. And so, so you don't, when, when you advertise something on the web or on, in a statewide paper or whatever, and they see, oh, yeah, you're from Janesville. Oh, it's easy to get to. I've been by there. I know how to get there. So those are the key things that I think of Janesville. Now I look at our Rochelle store and we got all of that except the real high income. We don't have, you know, it's a town of more like 12,000 and there's a little manufacturing base there, but it, it isn't, you know, it isn't near 
the, the wealth that we have in this area. But what we do have down there is we got good farm ground in all directions. Sure. And and we've got Interstate 39 going north and south and I-88 going east and west. And so once again, it's really easy to get to. Everybody knows where Rochelle is. Well, then I look at our outliers at Amboy and Judah and, uh, you know, um, Amboy, there's some good ground, but it's not as good as around Rochelle. And nobody goes to Amboy for any particular reason. And Judah, if you happen to be going on 11 between Janesville and Dubuque, you'll you'll see us. But uh, otherwise, uh, there's not really a whole lot of great reason. And then, you know, the ground over there is hilly and, mm -hmm. and, you know, more of a dairy sector. But well, that's a tough bunch. They're a, they're a hard nut to crack over there. So our stores, we, we really are set up and have two bigs and two smalls. Mm -hmm. If I was to try to buy another store, I'd rather have a big than a small. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys, you hit a home run when you bought Janesville. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and I don't know, you know, why it hadn't been recognized before that and what took so long, but, you know, you guys have done yeah. a bang-up job. Well, you, I mean, you're definitely right. This is some of the best land in the whole state. Yeah. Here and east. Mm -hmm. um, and Dane County, too, which we have. You know, yeah, yeah. Some of the best land in the whole yeah. state. Um, you know, in our demographic, we kind of call it the, the triangle where our stores are. You know, Madison over to Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. um, back, you know, northern Illinois back over to here. I mean, that's, a, that's an area with some great farmland, right. yet it's the most populous area, too. Right. Um, with more... Well, mm -hmm. so there's a ton of property owners and commercial business, municipal business, you know, that we can, that we have the opportunity. Each store is a little different. Our demographics are different, which is beneficial. You know, farming in this area has been a little depressed the last couple of years, a little more depressing. Mm -hmm. um, our industrial sales have been great at some of our other stores and you know, our uh, large property owner sales have been really help sustain things a lot for us. Thanks to Leo and Chris for sharing their stories with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessitermedia.com. Our Dealer's Story is now available on Spotify, and you can also subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you'll be alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Special thanks to Joe Kinsley and Sierra Wolf for putting this podcast together. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt signing out of Our Dealer Story. Mm -hmm.